Welcome, ladies and gents, and everyone in between, to episode, I do believe now, eight of the Authenticity Hour. Uh, I'm surprised it's made it this long with what we said on the show so far, so go back and watch the previous episodes if you're interested. Um, but it is my pleasure to be joined by a very special guest today. Um, she was a driving force on how kind of we exist today, actually, and really influenced me in my uni years as a teacher that came in with some real agency experience and helped guide us when we were all there. Um, so she's a lecturer, M-A-M-I-P-A, uh, IPA woman of tomorrow so many things I'm trying to read off of LinkedIn so so many accomplishments here there and everywhere um, Catherine Ellis joining us from McCann Bristol welcome thank you for making the time hello lovely to lovely to see you lovely to speak to you again yeah it's really good to catch up in, in, in such a weird odd, odd manner it's probably not the, the manner you catch up with previous students often but um it, it sometimes I get to write them a reference that's quite nice <laughs> See, there's levels to this game, Catherine, and we're, we're just we're just up there. Um, but yeah, it, it's really good to see. You. And as I said, like you were at, at uni, I think like I probably should have given uni a, a little bit more credit. There was things that Solo did very well, things that could have improved on. But one of the things was actually bringing in people with real life experience. And you were there. Were you doing your masters while you were there lecturing? I might have been for some of it. I think I can't remember mm. what year I did my masters. Yeah, I probably was. Um, yeah. Yeah, it probably was. So I had a bit more time for your year than when yes. I'm in my proper day job. So I took three <laughs> months off to finish the master's, I think, and I was teaching. So, uh, yeah. but normally, normally I'm kind of full time working at McCann. So, yeah. Excellent. I love that. And the, a weird fun fact is in one of the units um, we had with you, which is account management and planning, um, one of which was to essentially create your own agency and create the whole pitch deck for it. And uh, the idea for, for Shogun essentially started all the way back there in that first oh, unit. So some of the initial ideas still pull through today. Uh, so things like four day work weeks, uh, things like um, kind of flexible working and adding in freelance elements. And then one of the future thing I, I put in there was like, I wanted to do an account management app. So it could, everything could be seen through there, which don't worry, it's, it's in the works somewhere or another. Um, but yeah, so some of those initial ideas were born from that class. So it's very good to, to bring you on and kind of just tell you that. Cause I was like, I've never actually mentioned it before. So yeah, that was a cool little unit. Um, and I'm glad we did it cause it was very, very fun. Um, but I suppose in, instead of me, Flynn, I shall let you introduce yourself to, to everyone. Uh, feel free to, to drop in, uh, drop any references and drop any uh, any flexes as much as possible because we want people to know how amazing you are. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It, there's a lot of letters after my name from what you've just read out. I know, but, it was um, very hard to read. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm kind of strange, I'm kind of hybrid. I'm, most of the time, um, I'm managing partner at McCann in Bristol. Um, I'm a strategist by trade. I've always been a strategist, which is weird. So I've never worked mm. in anything else in advertising. I've never been an account manager, never been a creative. Don't particularly want to be either of those things. It's a tough um, job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been a strategist now for about 16 years, I think. I graduated in 2004. So I think I'm getting on 17 years. Um, and uh, worked at various agencies from Dare when it yeah it still exists doesn't it um, and uh, uh, Delaney Lund which is now Mullen Low and yep. a bit of EWA Karma Armour all different places um, and then ended up at McCann when I moved to Bristol about six or seven years ago. Amazing. Um, and during that time, actually longer than I've been at McCann, I've been an associate lecturer at Southampton Solent University. 
So that was inspired by my boss at um, Karmarama, Sid, who's now Wonderman Thompson. Um, and he kind of wanted us to do something interesting. And the most interesting thing I could find that I would do was teach. Uh, every, other people started up kind of Bermuda shorts businesses or, you know, record shops or coffee shops. And, and I taught. So that's how boring I am. Um, and no, then I it was also... an essential practice, I, I might add. Like... <laughs> Um, and then I'm also um, an academic as well. So my MA started off really quite an interesting strand of stuff that I never really have time for um, and research into gender um, in our industry and specifically mm. in creative departments. So um, I followed up that research last year uh, and um, published an article with the with Advertising Society Quarterly. Um, on, we're renewing my research and talking to lots of really, really interesting women um, from creative departments at all different levels to mm. see what it, what, what the disjoint was, why we were losing so many women between creative education and creative departments. Um, so that's been really interesting. And I've worked with quite a few organisations like Creative Equals and she says with that, I'd love to do more of that. But obviously I am holding down two jobs at the same time. And um, I had a, uh, a baby, not last summer, but the summer, no, not last Christmas, but Christmas before. So oh. I, I did my done last call, I was actually on maternity leave. So uh, it's all a bit busy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't make it easy on yourself, do you? You've got all the, all the plates spinning that could possibly be, but that's amazing. That, that, that is really really cool and <clears throat> we'll get into the um the stuff about um gender and in the creatives which i definitely want to dive into because that's extremely important and actually something i was talking to my other half about the other day weirdly um but we'll, we'll get onto that later but one of the things i wanted to ask you first is kind of the differences between advertising and marketing recently so like we're, we're like it from from very different spheres i was taught from a traditional advertising point of point of view and that structure which is essentially kind of accounts departments planning departments creative departments and then you have a separate media agency that will do all of the distribution and that's kind of how how the the, the big leagues work in a way um but with with the kind of hybrid agencies popping up here there and everywhere with people saying they are completely full service and offering everything under the sun. Um, have you noticed the difference in how people respond, how, how many different companies come to you with different experiences? Um, and have you had to shift um, your ways of strategizing and planning based on how these agencies have, have done and changed the sphere? Yeah, yes. That, um, well, oh. I mean, if you, look, if you look back into history, Mm. In the 60s, um, all advertising agencies were full service. Um, and then they kind of broke out into splitting media and creative. And I suppose it's just kind of come kind of full circle, but because there's a lot of blurry lines. So something like social search um, mm. uh, influences, that kind of thing, that, that's where blurred lines start to merge between creative and it's not as, you know, paid for media as such. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get agencies on both ends kind of advising on those elements and it's a bit of a land grab. Um, I do think, I'm not quite, I think it's it's going more solely actually in London. In a funny way, since moving to Bristol, my skill set has become more diverse because we get clients of a certain size who want to take both media and creative um, yep. and social and PR from the same agency because they actually get better value for money and their mm. budgets don't kind of warrant separate agencies. Um, so in Bristol, we are actually a full service agency. We have Universal McCann kind of built into um, our office, whereas that isn't the case in London. Um, but I do think that, oh, and that's a factor of our clients that we get, um, because really for a lot of them, we're an outsourced marketing department. They might not have very large marketing mm -hmm. departments. They might not have a lot of tools, et cetera. 
Um, but I think that is a growing trend actually anyway. So um, clients are requiring more things of strategists like comms planning, channels, channel planning, kind of channel neutral planning, I suppose mm. you would say across social and media. Um, and actually further up the chain stuff. So a lot of the work that I do is helping clients set budget and divide that between different chat, different platforms, spaces, wherever, yeah. um, to get the best kind of use of their spend. And I think that's more what's happening with strategists now. Strategists are kind of at the sharp end of this. So um, from our McCann World Group tools, a lot of we've added in a lot of consultants to our our department. So kind of yeah. McKinsey style marketing consultants and mm. business consultants, and also um we have added lots of communications planning tools because we're kind of doing a bit of the media job and sometimes there isn't paid media that's the more kind of common occurrence is yeah. actually there isn't paid media and you're dealing with a shopper agency or a social agency or you're kind of doing list buying or something um so the the strategist at the creative agency needs to do the comms planning because there is no media agency uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I've seen it from both from both ends, from both client side, agency side, on on a large scale and smaller scale, and now starting this. Um, obviously, we're one of them, but the kind of the rise of specialist agencies has has been very interesting amongst that, and I think this is why planning. I don't know why, but it's, planning gets overlooked by a lot of clients, and I look at them and go, "You seriously like need to divvy whatever this is up intelligently, especially with the shift in so many different social platforms. You need if someone's dedicated job needs to be understanding how these things work and fit in, especially with how much TikTok has changed the social sphere and that pulling through that authenticity and almost getting rid of the whole Instagram perfect style of of." of of content, um, it's definitely changed a lot. So having someone to understand that is probably the most vital thing I can think of. Has has TikTok changed the way you guys are planning on the social side of things? Because I know it influences us a lot every single day, but on the scale of brands you work with, has it come into the, the frame too much yet? They're definitely using it. I suppose it's my, a factor of my role is I don't get down the dirty end a lot. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to say, but I'm, I'm kind of like saying, you know, you probably should spend this in this social and you know mm. um uh, um and the specialists we're kind of dealing with it but we're definitely using them i mean what mainly through um influencers so um kind of the recruitment of influencers through specialist agencies to create content on tiktok um mm. around kind of specialist interests mainly um you that we've started using them um for alcohol brands that we work with but also pet food brands as well because you nice. know are a massive thing in social media um, and I was speaking to um, our research department the other day because we do increasingly clients asking for these things which are online communities but they're not in the truest research sense a lot of them are kind of a group of advocates as well and the requirements for that often to audition is to recruit uh, through TikTok content etc and car brands seem to be really loving this type of stuff so people will talk about pets cars and what they get up to on a night out um and they are great areas which use tiktok yeah I, I just love how like everyone on tiktok is way too comfortable like just from someone that uses it every day um but that's a massive advantage for brands as well it's a place where people can be more honest and i think um some brands will miss out on it if they keep the same mentality they had before in terms of just going here's what we sell by this and not this TikTok's whole thing is don't make ads, make TikToks, uh, and I, that statement rolls true through through pretty much everything. Um, and yeah, it all lies in the creative. I mean, one of the reasons that Shogun exists is purely to to go. We want to give you back your organic autonomy to make sure you're focusing 
on these pla on these channels because they should be one of your main things here this is your direct line to your audience this is where they see you in the trenches every day posting and if that's meaningful if that offers value if it entertains aspires or educates that in itself changes you and you can lean into your authenticity instead of just being another brand that goes hey you buy my stuff uh, because nobody wants that but again it, that's that's kind of just taking the print very basic principles and shifting them to different platforms so yeah i find that very interesting and i think it forms into how creative is moving because a lot of creative obviously comes from influencers and things like that but have you seen how have you seen anything about how creative uh, agencies and creative departments are changing recently in terms of anything that's happened post lockdown post covid is there a different way of operation especially kind of because the best creative sessions happen when everyone's in a room scribbling on whiteboards coming up with great stuff but while that wasn't an option have you seen a shift in how they work it's been very interesting actually and i'm part of the apg strategy leaders group so we kind of it's almost like a therapy session that happens every few months for mm. people heads of planning around the industry and what surprised us all is actually how our creative departments don't want to go back into the office. We thought they'd be the first departments kind of rushing back in because they were missing out on all that collaboration and da da da. But actually, if you notice creatives behavior around an office, they always take themselves away anyway. So they're always the ones that are found sat in like an office in the corner or a booth or in the pub opposite, mm. because they actually want kind of um, quiet time to think. And they don't like having account managers chase them around going, have you written that copy line yet? Have you done this? Have you done that? We've got a review in five minutes. Um, yeah, so um, so actually they've really loved it. One thing I do think has suffered and that they would agree with is um, briefing and reviews. So, because you don't get that kind of organic conversation that just happens. Um, and yeah. we were actually talking about how to manage creative reviews because on this forum where we're all a, a virtual head, it's even more easy for the very vocal people to kind of jump in and speak over people. And, mm. um, you know, that means that some of the more introverted members of staff or some of the more junior members of staff have really great perspectives, don't get their voices heard. So, um, and but if you were in a room, you would notice more that that person hadn't said anything. And, you know, yeah. as my job as a senior person, that's for me to kind of draw that out of them and ask their opinion. Um, and also you don't kind of get the back and forth quite as much of like, oh, have you thought about this? Oh yeah, yeah. And you can just kind of draw something up. We've tried using kind of collaborative workspaces like Miro um, mm. to do that. And they have helped in some way. So say for a pitch, voters can start posting their initial ideas up there and then you can use post-its and, you know, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable talking in a review, they can put it all, put their ideas up there. But yeah. then, you know, it's difficult because stuff gets missed. Not everybody's using it. Um, so I think some of those collaborative techniques we should we should take forward because I know in reviews actually people host reviews in different ways where they physically use post-it so people can be more yeah. anonymous and voting on the ideas they want. And when they've taken work to clients, sometimes they use we use that. Um, kind of method so that they feel more comfortable voting on the ideas as opposed to saying what they like and don't like in front of an audience mm. so I think you know that it's helped foster some different ways of working but it, you do miss out I, I don't think I don't think we'll ever go back to a five days a week model I know some agencies are mandating that because they think that's how it works and we were talking about this really strange kind of two-tier industry that might emerge because you've got some people offering fully remote working forever mm. and then you've got others saying no we're all back in the office five days a week and that's how creativity works and there's everything in the middle so I just don't know everybody's in such a kind of transient phase 
yeah. and it will be interesting to see what kind of working model attracts the best talent um and it, and makes the best work it's all a bit of an experiment at the moment yeah everything's up in the air in that regard and uh, yeah i'm someone who needs an office i need to put myself in a different place other than my home because i don't want to associate work with home especially when i was working for an agency so i'd always advocate to go into the office going into the office every day however that's a different story um so maybe there will be a perfect point in the middle where you go okay complete flexibility just pick which days you want to come in that week we'll whack on a rotor job done uh but I think there there are some like for especially when big project kickoffs and things, uh, physical meetups have worked. Like uh, I feel like they they still need to happen. I feel like, but that's just just from how our team has been working. Because our team has been working well being together in a in an office. Because I think everyone's in this honeymoon period of oh we get to go back outside again. And obviously as time progresses, they might want more freedom. Things just flow around. But we'll see how that that, that changes. But I love the integration of Miro and things. I think Miro has literally just done a, a deal with Google Workspace. You know you can do it directly from a call. So that should be quite seamless if you're using Google Meets. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but yet the the interesting part you said about um, how creative teams manage and kind of getting junior members involved, um, that's something that I've I've always kind of been I had at the forefront of my mind. Obviously, from working in account management and to making sure people get their voices heard and everything. Um, and with the virtual model, I've essentially been in the office with like a whiteboard or a virtual whiteboard, and I've just gone. I'm standing in front of it, and everyone else in the call is looking at me, and I'm, and I'm just doing a roll call, and I'm writing everyone's idea down forcefully, and uh, just going right. This is forced family fun time. I will hear everyone's ideas uh <laughs> get them up on the board so but now i'm thinking is that is that a bit too is that a bit too forceful should i have tried the post-it note thing so i like i might steal that might steal that um <laughs> that was a good one um but another thing we'd love to talk about is to dive into what you mentioned at the start of the podcast which was um the gender differences in advertising and creative teams as well the floor is yours i'd love to know more because it's really really interesting well, I suppose this government kind of piqued my interest because I'd worked in advertising for like ever and I probably worked with about three female creative teams. I had one female creative director in that time and I was like, well, where, where are all these people? So because I was had one foot in education at the same time, I started looking at the statistics there because it was odd. I was teaching on advertising courses and there were plenty of women there mm. um, and even on the kind of creative MAs that were being offered as well. So they were specifically training. So I noticed that there was this dropout. So 60% of the students that study creative advertising are women. Um, but I, I can't remember what the exact stats is, but it's around 30%. I, haven't, yeah. I should be up on my latest IPA status. Uh, uh, census, but around 30% of people working in creative departments are women. And that's kind of similar at the junior levels as well. Mm. So it's not that they, I know a lot of people have looked at the dropout um, further on in a career. So as women progress in creative departments and drop out due to things like motherhood, burnout, all those kind of elements, mm. but actually there's fewer women to start off with. So you're starting from a smaller pool and then you're trying to retain a smaller pool. So I thought I would look at that problem. So what can you do to address that and why are these women dropping out and just found a very variety of things so the kind of gender bias starts as early on as within the teaching so obviously you know a lot of um, lecturers in creative advertising are actually creative directors yep. because of the generation that they're from they're typically men um, a lot of them and the people they bring in to do guest lecturing are um, usually the kind of quite old-fashioned I've found um, 
creative director male stereotype a very kind of macho yeah, um, Hawaiian shirt quite possibly you know yeah 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 but just their style of leadership is quite relentless it's like it's all about the work um and you know it's it's all about working all hours. Um, there's no mm. compromise. It's very competitive. It's very um, individualistic. It's very, um, it is aggressive in some ways, their style um, and kind of my way or the highway. That's not actually the reality I found this year or last year when I was repeating the research in creative departments these days. But because mm. a lot of these people kind of retired creative directors from many years ago, um, that was how, that's what they're like and that's what it was their experience was like. So that's what they communicate. So, um, and you know, I think more work can be done in education to draw in a more diverse set of people working in creative departments and who are working in creative departments now, um, and also connecting with people who are at the more junior levels. So usually it's like the creative director you get in or whatnot, but actually it's useful for students to get more junior teams to hear about their experience. Mm. And then you kind of hear, hear about um, on placements. So a lot of um, creators can be doing placements for up to a year, two years, you know, to yeah. get into anywhere. Um, very lowly paid or unpaid placements and then you kind of then that's the experience so you fall out of the statistics then so you can be going it depends what agency you're going into I met women who are junior creators who went into brilliant agencies that fostered diversity they had mm. you know I'm not saying that you need a, a female creative director to foster diversity not at all like there were some yeah. brilliant men just of different styles um and but then others went into very much more traditional ones where they might have been the only female team and they you know, were referred to as the girls and oh, let's see what the girls have to say about this and almost kind of trivialised in a way. Um, and yeah, so that, that was kind of their experience with things like maybe they were excluded from nights out and just the banter and things like that. I think a lot of the very macho overt behaviour, you know, like I heard stories of um, one lady was... Um, uh, a lesbian and she had pictures of like nude women pinned up on her desk and things like that and people saying oh you like that don't you kind of thing um that's quite a long time ago now luckily yeah. um but um and you know people being invited along to strip clubs obviously feeling very uncomfortable about that but um but I think there's more kind of covert behavior really just things like oh well you know we're all going to play football tonight you're, you're not invited or it, because you don't want to go really or there was a lot of it was about the banter and about the mm. chat so if there's kind of a male creator director a male team felt very much more comfortable going in there and like shooting the shit with them and and then that's where a lot of that collaboration and ideas come out yeah. whereas a, a female team might go in there and it would be very kind of transactional and focused on the work they wouldn't have that kind of oh what happened in the fussy last night type banter mm. um and you know that's what they struggled with so it, it actually the female teams often struggled to get permanent roles and things because they didn't have that more informal social side um with the team um so yeah just lots of kind of barriers really and then my research kind of looked at how how to tackle those um and and what we can do in education and in industry so to tackle them yeah Absolutely, because I've seen it firsthand on, on multiple sides of the coin. So I've been in places where the entire management team above me has always been female. And I've been in places where there's still the classic lad banner kicking around. Uh, and there you do see that they're, they're almost like microaggressions that, that kind of come out in, in very subtle ways. Um, so it'd be like, 
saying darling or sweetheart but in like a way that's kind of feels condescending you're like that just feels icky don't don't do that it's 2021 uh so yeah i see it spill over all the time and um i recently bought a book called the better allies approach to hiring just to focus on diversity inclusion and everything like that um and it does touch on some really really great things um but but one of which is kind of it's in the hiring phase at least actively going out and finding people that are diverse also fit in your culture because from the, the hiring I've done applicants are normally very heavily skewed towards white male all the time and I'm like where where is everyone to, <laughs> that are that why why aren't we getting more diverse people applying <clears throat> and there's a lot of things that actually are very subtle within um, the job application that can actually put a female or more diverse applicants and one you have to go out and try and find them anyway because you're it's always going to be skewed because we we live in england right it's just going to be a diversity is not as uh, easily accessible as it may look sometimes so there's there's that but also little things within the job description so not having such harsh requirements at first glance because apparently they did some some studies and I haven't actually got the back pay, backup paperwork for this but I will find it um, apparently this is saying that essentially female uh, female job applicants will evaluate every single detail within the job application and go how much of this do I actually match and if even one or two of them are missing they won't apply whereas 90% of guys would just go in for a penny and just keep giving it a go every time. And this is this is how it, it happens. So I found that really interesting because I was talking, this is what I was talking about the half about and she was just like, I, I want to make sure I'm completely fully qualified. So my chances of converting it higher, I just think it through more. I'm like, yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So you have to write the job descriptions in a way that foster that, then actively go out and try and find them and then create an environment that also that, that kind of fosters that as well. And I think that's why I'm so hot on social in regards to having conversations like this way out in the open and just going, I want people to feel like they know me and us before they ever apply or anything like that because that's a very important silent analytic that no one's really going to see. It's just the how approachable is this is environment and culture and we do little things like um everyone's long-term goals outside of work so let's say james for instance behind the camera he wants to be in freelance film one day um tian one of our full-timers wants to be working social media in london three four years time um my sister amy also work in marvel comics and she works with us as well so with they're all out there on the board because the, work, the thing we hate the most is having to lie and just say that we want to work somewhere until the day we die because sometimes it's just not the case you want to diversify you want to do certain things which is why it's amazing that McCann and, and other other agencies have let you diversify and do lots of other things so yeah trying to foster a culture like that to be more welcoming and actually do that could be difficult and I'm trying to build things the right way so from that study then are there any takeaways that would help us in our growth from the studies you've seen <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, be mindful, be mindful of the difference in confidence and also be mindful as well that a lot of because so a lot of women coming out of education are the majority um, on all their courses. Um, and then when they go into the workplace, they're the minority. So that's often a bit of a shock for them. Mm. Um, I think in terms of takeouts, be mindful of that confidence, be mindful that actually from day one, um, uh, a female employee or even a placement student might need more support because um, women tend to opt for more formalized training but on things like the soft skills they kind of presenting themselves presenting um assertion in meetings and and that kind of thing how to sell their work a lot of um, what the women struggled with wasn't the work itself it was how to sell their work and sell themselves yeah um so i think and, and women welcome kind of formalized training in that that helps build their confidence mm -hmm. um and what other things would i suggest um actually kind of creating mentors 
for them that they feel comfortable speaking to. So this was mainly in larger organizations, but you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman, but it might be somebody who's had similar experiences to them or has recent experience of kind of starting their way out in the industry. Um, so they've got someone to kind of talk to because a lot of these women kind of kept the things that they were experiencing silent and then just chose to opt out themselves. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if they had a sounding board to go, this happened to me today, is that okay? Like, is that normal? Um, yeah. Someone that they felt very comfortable with from day one. I think that's also really, really important. Someone who can, who, who's confident themselves and can escalate any issues. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And actually, I'm glad I'm glad you said some of those because I feel like we're already on the right track to being a, a, a better environment because um, we do do a lot of formalized training. So we do uh, like account management stuff specifically and in full inductions and, and everything. So I, I had a feeling that it might be the way to go anyway, just from an organizational point of view as a young business. But um, uh, yeah, I'm glad that that is actually a, a point of contact. And the reason that we're actually based on one of the big reasons we're based in Barclays Eagle Labs is because they do offer mentorship programs so the fact that obviously young businesses can't normally offer that but they have a wide selection of businesses that and people that have been there done that it's an amazing female mentors um, one of which is I talk to on a regular basis as well so um, having them paired up and having someone to talk to is really really important so I completely agree absolutely love that and I'm glad I'm not messing things up that's brilliant I think the, uh, I think the whole thing about talking to people authentically about their life is also important because what surprised me when I came along to teach, students didn't ask me questions about how to do planning. They asked me like, so how many hours do you work then? And how much do you get paid? And what's it like? And how do you do this? And uh, you know, what's your agency like? What do you, you know, all the kind of really nitty gritty day to question, day to day questions about like, mm. what do you do for lunch and stuff? Um, and actually that's kind of a closed book. We don't talk about that kind of thing because we want to appear professional and, you know, people do want to know about that in order for them to consider whether this is the career for them um, mm. and how they might manage their kind of longer term ambitions or personal life and um, and professional life. So I think it's good for people to talk about their actual real life authentic experiences and their stuff outside of work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to happen. That's why we try to keep everything out in the open over here, just to make sure that like there, there's no secrets. Like if you need flexibility, go for it. There, we all know what everyone's long-term goals are. You're not gonna have, have to feel guilty randomly when you get close to that goal, and then like, oh my god, like I'm gonna have to leave now. Like amazing, the round of applause, and you know, sail the ship on the way out. It's brilliant. But um, yeah, that that's quite interesting, and. Uh, the, around the agency life I think before you graduate there's like a lot of like mysticism around agency life because it sounds amazing it's like oh hashtag agency life uh, I'm going to be going out for beers every day uh, and it can be like that especially if you're in an agency in London which like I which I actually got to experience which is really nice but um, yeah what would you think are some of the key differences between agency life in London and outside of London because I think that's an important like factor for people to align that this is the it's a very different lifestyle and depending on who you are you might want a different different thing so as much as I did enjoy being in an agency in London not sure I could have done it for longer than I did like it's just like it's too much <laughs> there's no especially because I was commuting from Southampton to London which is just not a good idea um, but on top of that it was just that there's a lot of camaraderie there and there's a, there's a weird factor of guilt when you're not involved in every single activity that actually happens and you feel like you're missing out on stuff. So there's like a whole social dynamic to consider outside of your normal work day, uh, which I find quite interesting. But have you seen any key differences from your career? 
I suppose, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I came to Bristol at a different stage in my life, but definitely in London, you know, it was it was good for me because I went there, I moved there. I didn't really know many people. I had a couple of friends from uni there. So making friends and socialising through work was brilliant for me mm. because that meant that I had a lot of friends. And actually, it seemed like an extension of university life for a long time. Um, nice. uh, and while you're relatively junior, you can get away with it for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> before you become too client facing and things like that and you actually get responsibilities um so i enjoyed it i can see that it's really intense i mean london's even more expensive than it was then now so it's mm. a very much kind of you've got to weigh up the pros and and cons and i can see a lot why a lot of people opt out of london um i think it yeah maybe it depends on your mindset i always find it very odd people who want to work in this industry but never want to get that experience and i don't just mean in london i mean it could be any big any place where there's really great agencies with really great people working in them so it could be Amsterdam it could be Sydney it could be you know you can choose where you want to go but the thing that I benefited most from in London was working with amazing people um and um people who really taught me how to do my job um and watching them and how they performed and also working on a very diverse set of clients I think the difference with working outside of London is obviously the opportunities that you get are more limited um the people that are there um have had more limited experience um and you know you might not be working across such a broad range of channels you know um such a broad range of clients and sectors and things like that there's a lot more kind of specialists outside of london it's changing i think you know with covid there's a lot more remote working offers and two days a week type offers so you can kind of dip your toe in um uh, and also some of the cities are becoming, are, have got really good agencies building up in them. And a lot of the really good staff that you can learn from are kind of building themselves up there. So I'd say places like Manchester, Leeds, um, Bristol as well is kind of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, it is, it, it's a, it's a vocation. It's not a job. Um, yeah. I think that's actually what a lot of the younger generations struggle with coming into advertising because when I started it was your life that was what you did you know and for all the old people like me you know you're still reading campaign and that's that's your life like I read books about planning um whereas actually I don't think that motivates a lot of people from subsequent generations like you said they've got their longer term goals they've got other things on their side actually a lot of them are very much more settled down than I was at their age Mm. um and have long-term partners and want to do things like buy houses it's a very different kind of culture so you know or they have other things they're interesting like they've got their own blog or whatever yeah so i can see why not be not being part of that where it's all consuming um and what no that all consuming lifestyle can be unattractive actually now Mm. because I, i think that was the lifestyle that i did lead probably for a good 10 years when i was in london yeah, because when you when you're in it, you're in it, right? It's like that's everything that I that I want to do, and I think a lot of people, especially Gen Z, especially in Gen Z talent, <clears throat> um, mission led businesses and uh, authentic businesses are what they really want to rally behind because it has to be a deeper level of meaning. I think younger millennial fall into this as well. Um, so the bigger the agency or the bigger the company, normally there's a there's a ill kind of thing there because they feel like they're going to become a corporate cog when actually <clears throat> amazing agencies like McCann, Karmarama and everyone else like that, they have this really nice upbeat feeling to them and like and it's all all via design. Uh, so, and it, but it also depends on what their side hustles are because in in today's day and age, obviously I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for that. It's like you can make money in so many different ways that 
you don't have to go and kind of dedicate your life to a company and like it's completely optional like because sometimes it's just let's let's thrive within an amazing structure or let's give it a go and make one for our, ourselves. and like, it, it is all down to individual preference like you said there's plenty of people with long-term partners settling down and there's lots of different hotbeds of agencies and different uh, businesses popping up brighton's another amazing one apparently for 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 agency life so um that is there's just so many different nuances to it but yeah that's what a lot of people don't know coming out of uni so any fresh grads on marketing and advertising like it is a it's a whole thing you get get ready to, to dedicate and hopefully you're passionate about it because if you're not then you're stuck but if you are you'll love a life and <clears throat> that, that's the key so as much work experience as humanly possible is not like a it's not for your cv it's for you it's to really figure out what you what you like because otherwise you do what i did and make the wrong choice off the bat which is go client side which i didn't like um so that that is a, it's a whole bunch of potholes you can fall into but it's very 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 important to look at yeah i think it's the same with any kind of creative industry really it's never going to really be nine to five not if you want to do it um really well not if you really want to do it and do it well and that's not because you know you're expected to be in the office long hours it's because it is so interesting you can't stop thinking about it actually yeah. and you don't turn off and actually you want to go to things that are related to work outside so you know you have to you have to think about whether that's the type of person that you are hmm yeah absolutely because like I, I was the same i was like if i'm going to do something i'm going to be the absolute best at it because i just have a, the world's biggest chip on my shoulder uh but you can be just like no i, I have hobbies i have a life outside of this i just want to go do my job and come home and do my hobbies and then that that i actually kind of envy that to be honest and make like a lot life a lot easier if i thought like that but um yes that that is 100 percent a thing um so it's, it's so interesting though I, especially when it comes to like if i wonder if i went back to when i graduated would i do it differently probably not now considering where we are but uh it's just a yeah it's very very interesting dynamic but uh, another interesting dynamic i wanted to talk about is um the art of planning and strategy post-covid um now i think a lot of people especially if they're more in the marketing world or like sme style marketing world aren't really familiar with how traditional planning goes and strategy um is there a basic format for how you evaluate a, a business first off and any methods you actually employ? Because I think research is a bit of a lost art these days. A lot of it goes on gut feeling and whatever's trending, especially in the social sphere. So yeah, are there any traditional principles? Well, I think research is coming back into fashion, I'd say. I think the reason why do. it fell out of fashion is because of pressure. And I would say that actually talking to the people at the APG, that's increased since COVID. So, you know, a lot of us strategists have just felt like we are strategy, like present, like PowerPoint and brief writing machines that are just churning, churning, churning out strategy. And if you're doing stuff that quickly without thinking about it, what your only sources are the ones that your agency subscribes to, like Mintel or something, and Google. So, you know, yeah. you're looking at stuff, you're not away from the screen it's so important for planners to get away from the fucking screen. Like, um, and that's actually, that's what I think is being missed out on by not going into the office because every day you get to go on public transport or walk or wherever you go, you get to go to, you know, McDonald's at lunchtime. People watch. You see everyone, you know, you see people. That That's really healthy. Socialising is really healthy. And I don't think you can really do this job without 
being really nosy um and being being like oh you know look at them and look at them and and that's really interesting because you you get so much from that um and you're like a little magpie kind of picking things up everywhere and you you miss out on that um so uh yeah as i was coming back to you so yes i think a lot of planners now coming into it might think that they just like sit at desk research tools all the time but actually what is happening is COVID has kind of forced new ways of doing research and actually that makes it a bit more affordable so we've done a lot more online communities um which is you know in essence your depth interview or your focus groups online but actually you can get because you do them over a period of days you can get a lot more kind of um stimulus from people they can submit photos and do little tasks for you mm. um and another thing that i've been talking to a lot of clients about lately is is communities building an online panel so they they kind of want to have this panel of people that they can replenish with different you know once they get a bit too familiar with the brand or whatnot of people that they can actually do quite quick research with and run ideas past and that can input, you know, they can um, trial new products for them. They can feedback on marketing ideas. They can um, tell them exploratory insights about what they did at the weekend or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that type of research is really being helped um, by uh, online communication tools like this or um, different forums. So um, I think research is coming back around um, it's just for, for us to know the newer techniques and the ways in which to foster that with clients and to sell those into clients and actually meet their need when there's a need for insight, identify what it is and say, OK, you might not have to do this massively expensive um, quantitative study or you might not have to do this massively expensive 26 focus groups. You, there are different ways that you could do it and get different inputs. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in the social sphere, like um, I often recommend as a to build on, depending on what brand you are, building an online community anyway is can be a vital part of not only just kind of having an audience there to to entertain themselves and actually build that that connection there, but also it's a continuous source of qualitative and quantitative data depending on what's going on. So often these days, depending on the brand, I go. Um, don't bother investing in email marketing. I want you to have a private Discord, WhatsApp, uh, or any any of the other apps actually fit because one, the open rate is going to be like what fifty percent more than an email, and you'll be able to set up different things, especially on the Discord side. Like we have um, one of our clients is an app that teaches people how to sing. So the first of its kind is backed by Cambridge researchers and everything like that, and it's trying to take the prestige out of teaching people to sing because paying for singing lessons is quite a posh thing depending on where you are so um <laughs> it was one of those things where that's a really good cause and we want to rally people around that in general so instead of just having an email list and updating them on hit things here there and everywhere let's set up a discord where people can live chat and talk about how they're progressing in their singing uh, and set up like live jam rooms so people can sing together and actually get feedback constantly and it becomes a force in itself and depending on what brand you are that can fit or it cannot fit but actually you could put together some really wacky things depending on even if you're a brand that's really really boring actually if you did something really off piece and then create a community around that be it like a filter system i mean like take red bull for instance all the crazy stuff they do when it comes to their their marketing and things like you could create a whole community around extreme sports even though it's just an energy drink 
but the brand advocacy that would build is crazy and i think brand loyalty is built via social online communities now uh, and it's still actually really applicable it, and still i think because a lot of people say brand loyalty is dead but it, we, you can absolutely grab that and i think it's from that day-to-day communications and things you go out of your way to do as a brand and uh, super super interesting um and yeah i just like how well it's performing because especially if you have a private discord and stuff for, for instead of an email list it's performing so much higher uh, at least from from what we can see anyway but um, that, that's super super interesting love it love it and then one of the other things i wanted to talk about as well is what do you think the ad agency model will be in 10 years time what kind of shift do you think that everyone will have to make because obviously we'll have this balance of new tools we'll have this kind of flexible working um do you think the 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 model of what's put together now will change in any way or do you think it will actually still stay strong because if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah, I, uh, it's the thing is i think the advertising agency model has been in flux for at least the last 20 years yeah so, you know, possibly shifting it may, maybe it was in flux before then you know people have very short memories and they think oh in the good old days and you know when everything was like this and it was like this forever but i'm sure you know things are things are changing all the time but um i think related to that kind of working point and and who um who wants to do what so there was a an article i got sent ages ago actually it was by david Goulding. he set up new commercial arts but he set up adam and eve as well he's a um, mm. planner and um he kind of said that the agency was falling into two polarized types of agencies. So there's one that did content, which I would kind of call churn stuff, and then one which did culture. Um, and he was obviously working at Adam and Eve um, DDB at the time on John Lewis. So his, uh, you know, a lot of his stuff was this big culture change, big creative idea. Um, and then at the, since, you know, there's since digital and social and stuff down the churn end, you've got so many formats and things that you just need to churn out and it's basically headline and and an image or a little mini video and stuff like that and you know there is creativity in that but it's not a kind of big culture changing idea that's going to make headlines all that stuff works really hard and i think what we've seen is because there's been a lot of movement of talent um in the last few months and i think that's because you've kind of got two years of pent-up people not moving People who want to do that kind of remote working model and do the nine to five are going more to these kind of churn agencies where it is a job and it's transactional and it doesn't really matter if you kind of get together. It doesn't really matter what the culture is because you're still kind of doing a little bit of creativity. You're still kind of working on a creative project, but mm. you can just turn it out and, and you don't even have to go into an office and you can work with everybody virtually and that's fine. And that's kind of good. You know, there's lots of specialist agencies like that and stuff you do with content producers or influencers that can all be done completely remotely because that's how they work. Digital yeah. stuff can be. I mean, developers, my husband's a developer, they don't want, ever want to go back into an office. So, you know, all web building, <laughs> they go down that end. Um, and, um, but the other kind of the culture end, I wonder if that's the type of people who still feel a bit I suppose it seems old-fashioned now about creativity but that um you know they want to collaborate they want to get together and I think for me advertising agencies are I, I feel it it's very strange to call myself an advertising agency because advertising agency advertising isn't where the interesting stuff is happening mm. your opportunity if you're creative and you think I'm going to go into advertising I'm going to make some massive tele ads and all these like a beautiful out of home your opportunities to do that are few and far between like it you know i could probably count on this hand how many like half a million pound tv ads we've made or whatever you know yeah. in the past year so sorry my cat's coming now but, <laughs> oh, special um, visit love it yeah but um but 
there are really interesting opportunities outside of that. So one of the most recent pieces of work we did was um, on an app called Goability, which we did with Motability in a collaboration with Google to help mm. people with um, disabilities that stop them getting around, kind of map out where accessible routes and things might be. And, you know, if you think more broadly about client marketing problems um, and products, and another book I was reading by Andy Nairn, his kind of Go Luck Yourself book, was about the forgotten peas. So we think a lot about the promotion, but there's price and there's place and there's products. And that's often where the most exciting ideas are coming from, is when advertising agencies stray into those ideas. Um, so I think you're going to get these more kind of like ideas, creative focus agencies, and then you're going to get the ones who are doing the production, the delivery end of mm. it. Um, uh, and, you know, actually some of the time, you spoke to me about TikTok and things like that. We're doing less of the delivery, that kind of end of it, but coming more up with the bigger ideas and then specialists will kind of take on those channels. Yeah. So. And, and I think people will choose because this that side will be more kind of face to face um, and more kind of collaborative. The other side, you can go and work remotely and do whatever you want flexibly. I love that. And I love the, the difference between churn and culture. I think that's, that's really important. And I think just thinking about the space Shogun are in, I think it's almost like a mix between the two because we like like for me for instance my job is to help with obviously sales lead gen but also top level ideas so i'm I'm going this we need to do this and oh the cat's here yay um so and then work on that but then also the team then handles the delivery so but what what i think about social is is what why we're completely focused on it as a specialism because there was all the channels in the world to choose from but I think culture can be shifted via the microtransactions on social because I think as a as an individual, like we all know like brands can be a tad stale on there, especially on their organic channels because they're too afraid to break out of the business box almost and the brand guidelines and what needs to be set in stone. And those who are taking the risk to step out of that and just completely go off the rails with it are being rewarded massively with reach and being rewarded massively by just the general reception of the public and that culture shift can happen in the microtransactions that you post every day because that's where people see the legwork uh, that's where people see that oh they've genuinely gone and put out something for me and they haven't asked for anything in return and that i try and treat organic social like compound interest so eventually that's just gonna like rank up massively in terms of what the conversion rate is and it's a silent analytic so if you try and justify that to a high level executive say hey you need to completely change the way you're posting you need to make a podcast you need to do influencer content and you need to keep doing this for the next five years and they go why would i do that what's the return on investment and i go the return on investment is massive once you put the legwork in because people see i mean one of my favorite examples is foot asylum like that most of their marketing is completely just like youtubers doing doing cool stuff and they're being reported for it massively by some amazing brand recognition and i think that is a an almost mix between the two of delivery and culture coming together but your culture spills out in every single micro story you post so i, I really like that point it's really cool i think the no it's hard because there, there's an easy way and a hard way to getting your sales right there, there's mm. loads of stuff now from the ipa that says if you invest x in marketing you can expect y return it almost doesn't matter you know the byron sharp stuff always doesn't matter what the bloody creative is you just put a big logo in there um so you know there's the easy way to get your sales there's you know you can invest in kind of traditional advertising you can spend money on tv but 
Um, there's a there's the hard way as well, where I a lot of clients you're like, yeah, I can't tell you exactly what the return on investment is. We're kind of going through this with Yo Valley at the moment, and mm. to do what they want to do, there's the easy way. Yeah, you could do what you did in 2012 and you do a big brand ad, you know, that kind of thing on TV, um, and get as much exposure for it. Or there's a more difficult way. Maybe you could do something. We don't know if it will get traction. Um, I can't tell you exactly how many sales it's going to generate, but we think actually it might be a better way to go. So it's very risky. And often the agencies themselves have to invest in that, whether that be time or resource, um, you know, to, to actually get it kind of sold, sold through. Um, and that's very hard. So in essence, I don't think agencies, they'll be 10 towards one or the other. But if you're kind of that bigger cultural agency, you'll still have to do some of the churn because that pays the bills. You know, yeah. you, still, you still have to do that so that you can fund the time that you're spending to do the more interesting stuff, because that stuff never, from our perspective, from an agency's perspective, really pays for itself. Um, mm. you know, it's stuff you do when you, you put your spare time towards it. I was reading about the team who came up with Lego Braille in um, in TBWA in uh, somewhere in South, South America. Exactly. And even Lego didn't want that idea at first. They were working for us. A, 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 site charity the site charity didn't want it because um we're like they were for visually impaired people not for blind people so they actually had to kind of make it themselves chop the lego bricks up create prototypes and put it online and then lego became interested but that's the kind of thing that a lot of um, agencies are having to do to actually get these really more interesting ideas made yeah yeah no, I love that. I love that. And it is stepping out of the box and really pushing forward those those newer, better and brighter ideas because we'll see a massive shift in how media is distributed because of how big data is being pulled back. So with Apple, for instance, making a stand against Facebook, iOS 14 update, your traditional marketing funnel, hello cat, uh, your traditional marketing funnel is completely thrown into disarray. You can't just do cold campaign, warm, retarget. You, and that just churns out money because it used to literally there's a whole reason click funnels exist as a business right that's just the whole thing just put people in the funnel remarketing make infinite money it was almost like a hack uh but literally you can't do that same way anymore and the way that advertising in this in its purest sense focuses on the creative idea uh, and the planning that goes behind that idea and why it will work is now becoming more important than ever at every single scale and i always like to say the the age of like or automation is out and the age of authenticity is in you need there needs to be some level of connection there especially going forward with early millennial slash um, gen z they are not gonna fall for it before they can sniff corporateness from a mile away so then it needs to be this balance of serving in every single thing we do even in top level advertising so i, I love how it's all coming together and it's going to be a constantly shifting landscape as you said but we, all we can do is wait and see and see what the, the numbers tell us you have to be someone who's very confident with change, very comfortable with change in this industry and likes to keep up with it. Because even if all the channels and things weren't changing, you know, the, the client's business demands and everything change all the time. You just have to be very confident with, OK, let's just roll with it, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it is just rolling with the punches through everything because nothing stays the same for more than five minutes, and especially with on social anyway, with platforms constantly competing with each other. Uh, I think in the next five years or even sooner, you'll see the, the rise of live shopping. So that's gonna be a massive thing on TikTok, on YouTube, because YouTube already gearing up for it. Um, so we'll see that as a new channel to, to buy in. You'll see Instagram pouring much more money into creators because they're opening up creator funds now because no one's creating stuff on Instagram because it's hard, to, it's hard to grow on Instagram. So everyone's leaving and joining TikTok and actually getting more followers from TikTok 
TikTok over to their Instagram rather than anything else. So people are using it as a funnel because they're actually getting organic traffic. So this is why Reels now exist. And they'll keep constantly competing like this. Facebook is just over in the corner being a douche as usual because uh, just pay to play platform now, which I hate. But they'll soon have to change. I will say that this reflects your views and not the views of McCann World Group. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's only the views of Shogun Digital only. Uh, but yeah. It, I, I don't like them personally because they they have obviously not made an effort but that's a whole podcast in itself about my rant on Facebook um, but yeah yeah it constantly changing space and we will all have to adapt and that's why knowing your research and planning is extremely important and obviously cats are there to help out in every single way <laughs> working from home oh, but that's just one of the perks of the job I, I, I now miss my dog now because I've seen the cat and this is but yeah, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation and thank you so much for making the time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to talk about, promote, plug, you name it, the floor is yours? <laughs> I don't really have anything to plug. You can you can read my article, The Lost Girls, um, in Advertising and Society Quarterly. Um, that's about it. Um, and you know, if any of you fancy working in Bristol at any point in time, get in touch. It's a very yes. nice city. Um, it is. And- and I just want to say well done for you for kind of starting all this up, starting your own agency. It's really lovely for me to see um, people that I've taught having good success and, and loving what they do. So that's very Thank rewarding you. for me. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey and all fueled on by just the, that one presentation I did way back when. So there you I go. I wish that were true, but, you know. Honestly, I will, I will send you the presentation. I still have it. I have it saved somewhere. I can't remember what I called I called the agency Future Proof. That's what it was. Uh, so, and I had the, yeah, there's a whole thing. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk after. But um, ladies and gents, that's the end of episode eight, if I remember that correctly. Um, if you need anything from us, just let us know. I'll put all the details in the description. Um, thank you again for making the time. Uh, this will be on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you happen to find it, it'll be there somehow. And yeah, if you have any questions, drop them in the comments because that could be really important. And what do you want to see next? That, that's my concern I've, I've always got tons of guests lined up but what do you want to hear from people uh, is it the changes in social platforms is it the way of the world of podcasts is it uh, maybe even something completely off piece that isn't to do with business that's what authenticity is all about we just chat about random crap for about an hour uh, so yeah thank you everyone for joining us and I'll see you in the next one thank you very much <laughs>